Hello, this is Bob Fick. Uh, before you listen to the teaching time from December 27, 2015, I would like to make mention of two audio issues we had that morning while recording. The first issue, the mic that I was wearing did not get recorded, so when you hear me speaking, my voice was actually recorded through Russ's microphone. And the second issue, uh, there is a tone that can be heard throughout the podcast. Now, it's not too loud while Russ is speaking, but you can hear it much louder when I am speaking due to the first issue that we had. Now, I wanted to make sure that this teaching was made available, so I hope that it's not too distracting. We had such a great time. It was a special morning having Russ and Chris visit our Great Falls campus. So without further ado, here is the teaching from December 27th, 2015. Once again, I say welcome to Connect. We are starting a two-week series today called Love and Hate. We just finished our, I know, it's funny, right? We just finished our Heaven and Nature Sing, and now we're going to talk about love and and hate. But uh, it it should be good. We're going to have a lot of fun here the next couple weeks. So I I think all of you can agree uh, that we love and hate different things, right? As people, we have a lot of different interests. We love and hate different things. Now, uh, just for the sake of this illustration, I'm going to use the word hate, but I, I normally don't use the word hate. But for our, our series, that, that's, that's what I'm going to use. So I, I hope there's some friends out there with me when I say this statement. And you're probably going to throw tomatoes if you knew I was going to say this, but I hate country music. Yeah! Okay. Come I, on. I, I, come I, on. I have some friends here. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a classic rock guy. Russ, what do you Come on, that? you can't hate all country music. I just do. I said Car- for the sake of this series, like, like, like you can't hate C- Carrie Underwood. No, I, well, I don't hate the person or anything. I just... I mean, I like, Jesus hate. take the wheel. How can you hate that? <laughs> right? True. That's true. All right. I'll, Come on. Okay, so I guess... Are what, you with me? What, okay. what we're saying here is that... Um, like Lady Antebellum? Anybody like Lady Antebellum? All right. I think I'm in the minority here. We're dividing the house. We're dividing the house. <laughs> okay, you guys, uh, hopefully, you know, if you're as old as I am, you're going to remember this, but, you know, who was a little bit country and who was a little bit rock and roll? Yeah. Yeah, so that means you're Marie and I'm Donnie. That's what that means. That's what that means. <laughs> you didn't know I was going to say that. I threw that one in under the, under the radar. Sorry. I hate your shoes. <laughs> You, you want to know why I hate your shoes? Why do you hate my shoes? Because um, I was a nerd in high school, okay. and the really cool guys wore those shoes in high school. <laughs> so I'm like having trauma this morning, reliving my childhood really? looking at your shoes. I'm sorry about that. You know what? Pat always tries to step on my shoes when I wear them. Because they're so white? They're so white. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Too Keep it up, Pat. Yeah, Keep it up. Wherever Pat is, I'm, I'm running from you today, Pat. Okay. Well, some, something else that I okay, I'm gonna say I hate is um, sushi. I love sushi. I know you do. I know you do. Yeah. You, sushi lovers, come on. All right. Okay, I, I will say this though. Hanging out with Russ and Chris now, Gene and I hang out with Russ and Chris uh, throughout the year from time to time, and they have um, shown us the ways of sushi. But I don't know if I'm quite there yet. So mm. I, I guess I'm tempering the hate speech a little bit. Now, I know this one is, this last one is going to divide the house. Uh, who's a Grizz fan? There's my peeps. There's my peeps. What you got going on? There's my wife. There's my wife. Cat fan in the house. 
Well, well, I only heard one. I don't know. No, you know, obviously Russ and Chris are, are cat fans too, so we pray for them, but you know, we're having a lot of fun. I know we are having a lot of fun, but seriously, there are things that we love and there are things that we hate. And you can probably think of some things that you love and hate in your life as well. I love my dog, Jackson. He's a Border Collie. We take him with us. I take him with me to just go to the store a lot. You know, I don't bring him in there with me, but he's just my companion. And Gene takes him, too. So we just love our little dog, Jackson. But something that really aggravates me about Jackson, and I will say I hate this about Jackson, is that whenever we go up camping or we go to get our Christmas tree, I let him out of the truck. And he just takes off. Not taking off like he doesn't want to be, but he just takes off because he's so excited about the woods. His eyes get this big when he sees the woods. And he's tromping around, he's running around, and I'm trying to call for him. And he's still within eyesight. But I'm like, Jackson, you know, because we went up, we got a Christmas tree, and there's people up there getting a Christmas tree. And he's all up in their business. And he just won't listen. And this last time, I finally got him called over, and I grabbed him right by the nose. And I'm like, Jackson. And his, he's all like this at me with huge eyes. And I'm like, Jackson. And all of a sudden, his pupils went dilated. And then he was looking at me and he said, don't run anymore. Don't do that. Be a good dog. And he's like, okay. But I love Jackson. But I hate it when he does that, when he runs around in the woods and he doesn't listen to me. Today, we're going to talk about the name of our study today is, what does God love? What does God love? And God is, in many ways, just like that, like we are. We love and we hate things. And so we're going to talk about what God loves today. And then next week, we'll talk about things that God hates. In your notes, there's this first fill in the blank. And I love this. I love this statement. Love is not what God does, but love is who God is. Love is not what God does. Love is who God is. If we look to 1 John 4, 8, it says this. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. That's what 1 John 4, 8 says. Love is the very essence and nature of God. Love is who God is. I like that thought, and I like that statement. If we go to John 3.16, and we actually quoted John 3.16 last week, and we've quoted it in the recent past quite a few times. But this is the words of Jesus out of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus told us that God's love is so extraordinary so much a part of his character that he sent Jesus to redeem us. And we talked about that last week on how it was kind of ironic that Mary and Joseph were bringing the Redeemer to Jerusalem to be redeemed. But that's God's heart. That's God's character. That's God's nature. God is love. In Matthew or I just skipped ahead. The question I have for us is, why is it so hard for us to feel God's love sometimes? If God is love, then then why is it hard for us to feel God's love? 
Well, there's three things that Russ and I are going to talk about. The first thing is, and this is in your notes, maybe we're not seeking God. could be the first answer to that question. And it might be as simple as that in your life. Maybe you are not seeking God. If, if you know anything about healthy marriages, and you don't have to be married to hear or understand about healthy marriages, but in a healthy marriage, you seek each other. You know, that happens before marriage as you're dating, you're seeking each other out, you're going on dates. But when you get married, you seek each other. Gene and I, it was very evident to us early on in our marriage. Uh, we had been married maybe eight or nine years and we got into this relationship with Jesus. We asked him to be the Lord of our lives. And we started following after him and we soon heard the statistics of people that had been married 20, 25, 30 years but then getting divorced kids were grown and out of the house. And many of you probably have heard those same statistics and you know exactly why and what I'm going to say next. It's because those couples, once the kids were gone, looked at each other and said, I don't even know who you are. Yeah. We have nothing in common with each other. But well, why is that? It's because they didn't seek each other through those years. So Gene and I made a purposeful effort to go on date nights and to spend time with each other as the kids were growing up and in high school and stuff or whatever because we knew those years were going to go by and we'd be empty nesters and it would be Gene and I. And we would, what do we have to show for our marriage? We have built now this foundation with Jesus being the center of our lives. Now we've built this. We've sought each other. We've, we've, you know, we're in a relationship with Matthew 6.33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Once again, it's about seeking. Now, as a pastor, if somebody would come to me and say, You know what? I'm going to marry whomever. I'm, I'm going to marry Tracy. Oh, okay, great. You and Tracy have been, you know, seen each other for a while. Nope, I haven't even met Tracy yet, but I know who she is. We're not going to go on any dates. We're just, I'm going to set it up. We're going to get married on this day. We're going to get the caterer. We're going to set everything up and we're just going to get married. Well, how many of you know that that is not the, is not the way to do it? We need to seek each other first. It would be ludicrous for somebody to say, let's just get married without seeking each other first. So why is it hard for us feel God's love sometimes? Well, maybe it's because we're not seeking it. Now, Russ, I know there's a couple ways that we're going to talk about mm -hmm. that we can develop in our lives, uh, ways to seek after God. Sure. And we call these spiritual disciplines or spiritual habits. And uh, it's really important that if you're following Christ and you want to experience his love on a daily basis, that you put these kinds of things into daily practice. And uh, the first one I want to talk about is having a daily reading plan, a Bible reading plan. And, uh, and it's kind of funny, I was sitting here thinking as you were talking, Bob, uh, my dear friends Dale and Lois Murray are with us this morning, and uh, they have known me my whole life since I was born. And Dale was my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid, and Dale used to say, Dale, do you remember this? You used to say every week in our Sunday school class, if you don't remember anything else we teach you, just remember this. You won't amount to a hill of beans if you don't read your Bible and pray. And he would say that 
every single week. So I want to I just pass that on to all of you. If you don't remember anything else anybody says this morning, remember Dale's words. You won't amount to a hill of beans if you don't read your Bible and pray. And, uh, and, and that is a truth that has anchored me my whole life. Uh, and, and we call Bible reading prayer other things spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. And what I want to encourage you to do, we're coming up on the new year. This is a really great time to just make some decisions for the, for the coming year, right? And so I want to encourage you, choose a Bible reading plan that's going to keep you on track through the year and keep you close to God. And if you have a plan, it, it, it's just a tool you can use that's going to keep you right there uh, close to the Lord. And I use an app on my on my iPad that's called YouVersion. How many of you are using YouVersion? Okay, some of you are. Um, if you use an iPhone or an Android or an app or even on your computer, you can find YouVersion pretty easily. And they have literally hundreds of Bible reading plans that you can choose from. Um, a, a while back, I chose a Through the Bible in a Year Bible reading plan. And so every day there were four or five chapters that I would read. And it took me three years to read the Bible through in a year. But uh, I finished it. I, I got it done because I would get distracted. But a, a plan just kind of helps you, right? And so one of the things we're inviting connectors here in Great Falls, as well as connectors in Bozeman, we're inviting all of you to start the new year with a Bible reading plan that we're all going to go through together. And it's called... I wrote it down, Word of God Speak, Part 1. If you're taking notes, jot that down. Word of, Word of God Speak, Part 1. So if you've got the Version app, go to Bible Reading Plans and then choose Partial Bible. And the title of the reading plan is Word of God Speak, Part 1. We're going to start this on January 1st. It's not difficult. It's not going to take a lot of time. Just one chapter a day, generally. And, uh, and I hope you'll read the Bible along with us. If you don't use a computer or a smartphone for, a, for devotional reading, we're also going to print it in the link every week. And so uh, this week, January 1st, will be Luke chapter 1. January 2nd will be Luke chapter 2. And we'll go from there. Uh, but it, it's just a good idea to have a plan for reading the Bible together. So that's a suggestion you can use. Yeah, we're also going to try to put it on Facebook as well. Get the link, or, or if you don't do the app, you can always go on Facebook and, and see what we're doing, see where we're at for the week. So, uh, the second thing is a prayer plan. Now, I don't know if you thought about that. You know, I mean, prayer a lot of times just happens. And I remember, you know, when I first got into this relationship with Jesus, you know, you just pray, right? Well, I needed a little bit of structure at that point in time. I needed a little teaching about that that prayer thing because I knew what prayer was, but I didn't necessarily know how to go about doing it. Uh, and there's there's a great acrostic called ACTS. You can jot that down uh, in your notes too, A-C-T-S. And it stands for the first thing A is adoration or, or worship. So you want to start out your time with the Lord, just worshiping and praising God for who he is. Much like we start the service uh, mm-hmm. each week is the same thing. We start, we come to the Lord with adoration, worship, and praise. And then the second thing is C, which is confession. It's always good for us to examine ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to kind of sift through our hearts and find out if there's anything in us, maybe a bad attitude, maybe we said something, maybe we gossiped. I, I don't know. It could be a billion different things. But it's always good for us to spend a few moments after we worship the Lord and praise God for who he is and what he does 
that we kind of self-examine ourselves as well. And then after that, you can go on to the T, which is Thanksgiving. And that's just giving uh, thank, thanks back to the Lord. It's a little different than worship. Um, it's thanking God for the things that he's done in your life, for maybe revealing something to you, and, and maybe, like I said, an attitude, uh, maybe a habit that you've let develop that's taking you away from certain things in your life that you need to maybe stop that habit. We just give God thanks at that point in time. And then the last one is S, which stands for supplication. Now, at that point in time, there's a, a several different ways you can go with supplication. You can ask God, uh, you know, pray to God for needs that you have in your own life, in your family's life, your friend's life. Uh, a lot of times we talk about when we pray for other people's, that's called intercessory prayer. And, and that's part of supplication, too. Supplication is my needs and my family's needs, but then also other people's needs. And we have a great prayer team that prays throughout the week. Uh, we have uh, Don and Barb that put out the prayer requests every week for what you guys fill out on the Connect cards. And so there's anywhere from 10 to 16 people praying each day for the needs that you have as connectors. And that's intercessory prayer. And so if, you, if you've never really thought about prayer or developed a strategy for prayer, that's one, one way to do it. There's several other ways that you can do it as well, but that is an easy one to remember. Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. This has been really helpful to me because I'm kind of ADD. I don't know if any of you are kind of ADD. And a lot of times when I sit down and want to spend some time in prayer, my mind just starts going all different directions, you know. So if I have a structure, it helps me stay on task, right? And uh, it's just really helpful. So I hope that helps somebody here today. The third one we want to talk about today is fasting. And uh, this is another spiritual discipline, a spiritual habit that can help you uh, really feel God's love. That's what we're talking about today is why don't I feel God's love? That the spiritual habit of fasting can be a really powerful way to connect with God. Now, let me tell you this, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. I hate fasting. Um, I, I hate fasting. And this has been something that I've just really struggled to really implement into my life. But it's kind of interesting because as we've been collaborating on our teaching times together, uh, Lucas has been hammering us all about fasting. And uh, Lucas loves to fast. It's a great connection uh, to God. And so uh, a couple of months ago, I had a medical procedure and I had to fast for 24 hours before my, my procedure. And, and I thought to myself, okay, here's a great opportunity for me to, uh, I'm being forced to fast. So I'm going to turn it into a spiritual thing. And it was an awesome day. And I just replaced the time that I was eating with spending time in prayer or Bible study. And, and I've just been thinking, this is, I, it's not fun, but it's something that really helps me to connect with God. And so uh, if you're like me, let's do this together. Let, let's start doing these things and really connect to God. Uh, why don't I feel God's love? Well, maybe we're just not seeking him. Here's number two if you're taking notes in your outline. Number two, the reason why we sometimes don't feel God's love is because we don't love like God loves. This is maybe a little bit of an ouch for you if you're at all like me. Uh, we don't love like God loves. Here's what we read in 1 John chapter 4. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. 
Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love one another. Did you catch this? We didn't love God first. He was the one who loved us first. And in fact, he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for our sins before we even had any inclination of loving him. And here's what I think is absolutely true. If we are going to live like Jesus lived, and that's really our goal as believers, if we're going to live like Jesus lived, then we have got to love like Jesus loves. And, and that's hard. Is that hard for anybody here? Just hard loving like Jesus loves? Um, I, I woke up yesterday. Yesterday was the day after Christmas. And uh, in, in my world, getting ready for Christmas has just been crazy, crazy busy. We had our candlelight Christmas Eve service. We had to get this message series all put together, and it was a short week. And, and we're looking ahead to some future things, and I had to get Christmas shopping done. And we had a big Christmas party at our house. I mean, Christmas season has been just crazy. And I woke up yesterday. Everything was done. Um, Christmas was over. We ate way too much food, you know, and I woke up yesterday just kind of in a Christmas coma. And uh, it it was like everything had just relaxed, right? And I looked at Chris about 10 o'clock yesterday morning and I said, I'm just, I'm just a little grumpy. And she said, yeah, I can tell. And, (laughs) and, and I was just kind of clomping around kind of grumpy. So what's the stupidest thing you can do when you're feeling grumpy? You go to the mall and go shopping, right, with tons of people. And, and so that, that's what we did. And we, we wanted to pick up some towels. Herbergers was having a big sale. So, so uh, we went and, and we found some tail, tail, towels and towels. Thank you. Um, and while we were standing there in line, I backed up and I tipped over a whole display table of Starbucks mugs that just went crashing all over the floor. And I'm, I'm just getting grumpier and grumpier the longer we were there. And this very nice woman came over and helped us pick them up and nothing broke, thank God, and, and stacked them all up. But then we're in this big, long line, you know, and, and these towels were a really good deal and all the towels in our home were worn out. So we were buying a big pile of towels and this nice girl was helping us. She was so nice and she's but she was so slow. And, um, you know, and she would, she would scan a towel and go beep, and then she'd carefully fold it up and put it in the bag. And, and she's just doing one by one. And I'm getting grumpier and grumpier and grumpier while I stand there. And I'm thinking, I could do this so much more efficiently than you. And I could just feel my grumpiness. And then I start thinking about this. If we're going to live like Jesus lived, we've got to love like Jesus loved, right? And... And, and, and I just thought, man, what do I need to do to really develop a heart of love like Jesus has? Because love doesn't come naturally to me. Grumpy comes really naturally to me. But, but it, it's hard to love because my love is so imperfect. But this is one of the reasons why sometimes we don't feel God's love is because we just let circumstances and busyness and tiredness crowd God's love out. And so that's one of the things that I'm trying to do constantly is develop an awareness of God's love so that I can reflect that on to other people. Thankfully, I think I was nice to this girl. Was I nice, Chris? Did I do okay? All right. Good. Of course I was. <laughs> I love you, Claudette. You're awesome. Um, but some, it, sometimes it's got to come from a deeper place, and that comes from being close to the Lord, too. Um, So sometimes we don't feel God's love because we don't love like he loves. 
Number three, Bob. Number three is in your notes. Uh, the third reason is we, we feel unworthy. And, and I think each one of us can relate to the unworthiness. We've talked last week about guilt and shame, um, you know, not wanting to come into the presence of God because of the guilt and the shame many times that we feel. And, and, and I felt that. A lot of times we just don't feel worthy. We feel unworthy. But Romans 5.8 says this. And this is in your notes as well. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you didn't have to become worthy for God to love you. Isn't that comforting? I, amen. I, that is so comforting to me. That we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to reach a certain plateau or a certain ladder rung, and then all of a sudden, you know, now we're, we're worthy of God's love. No, he, he loved us while we were yet still sinners. And that's just, that's just a, an amazing dynamic and a thought for me. And that, all, that goes actually all the way back to the book of Genesis in the Bible. If you know the story of Adam and Eve, um, you know that that's where sin entered the world. If you don't know that story, I'll just give it to you real quick. There was a tree in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were at. And God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, except for this one tree. You can't eat from that fruit of that tree. It's, it's forbidden. So then, what do you think Adam and Eve did? They ate from the tree. Now, the serpent was involved, and there was other circumstances and details, and we've talked about that in past messages, but they ate. They ate the fruit of the day. And sin entered the world. And then what was the very next thing that happened, if you remember the story? They felt naked and they felt ashamed. They were naked and ashamed. And I think we can really relate to this. Because we say to ourselves, if people only knew that one thing about me. If people only knew what I was doing last night and we feel naked and ashamed. If people only knew that one awful thing that I did so many years ago, if they knew, and so we cover up. And then what's the next thing that God says in that story? If you remember the story, the next question that God asks is, where are you? Where are you? And he says that to us too today. Bob, where are you? Claudette, Pat, where are you? Chris, where are you? And, and what are we doing? We're over here with Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes. We're hiding from God because we're so ashamed. God says next, why? Why why are you hiding? Because I don't feel good enough. I, 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 I feel like I've blown it so bad. I feel guilty. And, and, and I just feel shame. And then God looks at Adam at that moment in time and says, who told you that? Who told you? 
Who told you that you're not worthy? Who told you that you were a shameful thing? Who told you that you need to hold on to that guilt from that thing that you did two, three, four years ago? Or maybe last week? Who's telling you that? Who told you that you're not worthy of my love? Because God tells us something entirely different if we read his word. He tells us something entirely different than the enemy of our soul would want us to believe. The Bible says this in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And when I read that Ephesians verse, there's two things that jump out to me. The first thing is that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. If you ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you call yourself a follower or a disciple of him, and you want to develop this relationship with Jesus, you're a new creation. You now have the Holy Spirit residing inside of you. And now you can tap in to that same power that rose Jesus from the dead, which is a whole other message. That's mind-blowing. But the other thing I see here is that God calls us his masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece, each one of us. Now, I don't know if you're into the arts, but when I read this, the first thing that I thought of is the great artists over the century. And if I say Van Gogh, you may think Starry Night. many other great paintings, but Starry Night is what I would consider the masterpiece. If I say maybe Michelangelo, you think of the Sistine Chapel. If I say Da Vinci, it's Mona Lisa. These are the greats through history, and those are their masterpieces. Each one of us is God's masterpiece. That's how he looks at us. We are the greats So instead of hiding in shame and fear, we can come to him knowing that he is creating something beautiful. He really is. He's creating a masterpiece. If you're my age or older, you probably remember the great 1988 fire in Yellowstone Park. Any of you remember that event? Um, It was a catastrophic fire. And uh, I remember so clearly... Uh, paying attention to the, the television news while the park was on fire and there was a lot of controversy because people felt like the park officials didn't adequately extinguish the early fires. And uh, it, it was a terrible thing. If, if you don't remember that specifically, we have a little video clip that just gives an overview of, of what happened in Yellowstone. Take a look at this. Superintendent of Yellowstone 
Something ominous when lightning ignited a series of fires in June. It was just the beginning of another fire season. We were gratified at first. We thought, well, you know, you know, fire needs to be brought back into the system. And so little fires began to spring up. Since 1972, the Park Service had allowed naturally caused fires to burn out on their own. There was a confidence in the natural resource area that we knew what to expect and we knew what we were doing when we got it right. That confidence was built on computer models constructed from years of data that precisely told park officials when to let natural fires burn and when to put them out. But by mid-July, park officials realized the fires were not burning as predicted, but spreading at an astonishing rate. All the models that had existed prior to 1988 went out the window in 1988. The fire just went right through everything. Those fires were moving at a speed that was unprecedented and scary. On July 21st, Barbie changed tactics and gave the order to fight every fire. But the decision did little to slow the flames as firefighters were overwhelmed. By July 27th, the fires had devoured nearly 100,000 acres, more than double the total acreage burned in Yellowstone since 1972. And the story became national news. The flames of July. 11 fires are now burning in this 2 million acre park. And they're being called the worst fires the park has ever seen. President Reagan sent in his Secretary of the Interior, Donald Hodel. Any fires that start now are subject to being fought. When a crisis gets big enough, the President of the United States has to show that he cares about it. Now, I couldn't do anything about a fire. The president couldn't do anything about the fire. But if the president hadn't been briefed on it, it would have been easy for his critics to say, well, he doesn't care about the fire. Well, that's not true. So there was a photo op, and he did what the president was expected to do in that kind of a crisis. The nation watched as fires continued to burn, impervious to the hundreds of firefighters now in the park digging fire lines, setting backfires, and scraping flaming forests with retardant. Virtually every spark that blew ahead of the fire started another fire. So we couldn't put the firefighters out in front of it. All you could do was bombard it from the air. People don't really understand the nature of a wildfire. Even people that live nearby, they do actually have been through it a time or two. I mean, it's a tremendous force. And it's like, well, why don't you just put it out? Well, why don't you just stop the hurricane or the tornado? <laughs> you don't just put it out. And if you remember, the fires burned and burned and burned for months, and the end result was that Yellowstone largely became a wasteland. And I can remember... Uh, from my vantage point, just feeling like the, park, it, it, the park's been lost. There's, there's nothing left. There's nothing left to enjoy. Um, it, it's just been blackened. And then I remember, I, I believe it was 1990 or 1991, just a, a couple of years after the fire, I went to Yellowstone for the first time again, and I was hoping to find a picture. I have a picture standing in part of the burned area. I've got this big, long, curly mullet. I look ridiculous. Uh, but the point of the picture was... There were trees growing where the burn had happened, and they were about this tall. 
just extraordinary. Just a couple of years later, there is this much growth where the devastation took place. Um, my teaching apprentice in Bozeman is Dean Siskoyas, and he's a professional photographer. And he went down and visited. We didn't know each other at the time, but he went down and visited the park around that same time. And he took some extraordinary photographs. I want you to see these of what was growing in the burned area. Look at all this green among the charred trees and, and the wildflowers. These wildflowers are called fireweed. They're often the first flowers that grow up after a forest has burned. And then there's an, another group of pictures here. Look at just just a very short time. I love this photograph with all the yellow and, and the charred trees. Um, and this is, this is what God does. And, and I believe that what happened in Yellowstone is a really beautiful metaphor for what God does in our lives. We, we feel shame. We feel fear. We feel guilt because something has come through and ravaged our lives. But the work that God does because he loves us is he comes through and he makes what Ephesians says is a masterpiece. He brings... Would anybody argue that these flowers are not a masterpiece? It is extraordinarily beautiful. And, and wherever you are in your life today, if you're feeling shame or guilt or some sort of an impulse to hide from God, I want to tell you today, God wants to make a masterpiece out of your life. He wants to make your life extraordinarily we didn't talk about this, Bob, and I'm sure you probably know this, but in the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, that word masterpiece is, the, the literal transla- translation is a poem. God wants to make your life into poetry. You said Van Gogh or, or Michelangelo. What, maybe it's a, a Shakespearean sonnet. Whatever it is, God is making you into his so we started with the question, what does God love? The answer is this. God loves you. More than anything else, God loves you. And he is making you into a masterpiece.